I'd like to welcome you to the eighth uh, part of our 12-part series called Launch. We're taking a look at the book of Acts and the very early parts of the church as Jesus called and commissioned his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel and that he would give them power and the church was growing. There were episodes, times when thousands of people, 3,000 people, um, 2,000 people were added to the church in one day and the church was growing they were experiencing miracles. They were um, experiencing a renewed boldness. Um, there was challenges coming to the church. Last week, we talked about the persecution that broke out, and yet the gospel kept moving forward. Um, even while people were being even killed for their faith, it inspired others to continue to go out and preach the gospel. Well, in Acts chapter 8, we find that there is a longing in the heart hearts of people for God to intervene. You see, when things feel out of whack in our physical world, we have this natural tendency to turn to spiritual things in hope that it will make an impact on the experiences, the circumstances, the attitude that we go into these issues with. And this certainly has happened. The human heart longs for things to be spiritually right and whole, especially when the physical world around is not working right. Sometimes we're so desperate for outcomes to be turned right that we will look to God, we'll look to spiritual intervention. Um, this has been true for centuries, and it's true today. The, the, the heart of, the, of mankind wants for things to be right and whole. And so we will turn to whatever seems right. We will turn to things to give us hope or um, give us some level of calm in the middle of a storm. I want to look down at a, a in Acts chapter 8, I want to look at a showdown in the spirit realm with a guy named Simon. Um, he's called Simon the Sorcerer. And uh, we're going to read about this guy and we're going to make some observations about um, real power. And so today we've subtitled the message, Spiritual Power, Christ versus Sorcery. Spiritual power, Christ versus sorcery. Now, we don't use that word sorcery too much unless we're watching movies or uh, maybe, uh, you know, reading some uh, mythical book of some kind, a storyline. Uh, we are... Um, you know, pretty infatuated in our society and culture in superheroes and Marvel um, and some of those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, you hear people, uh, you know, young people especially talking about what would be your superpower if you had it. Well, we're going to be looking at power, spiritual power, but we want to take a look at Christ's power versus the sorcery that Simon the Sorcerer had been involved in. So let's, uh, my first observation is this, sorcery is self-indulgent. Sorcery is self-indulgent. It's self-focused. And uh, we're going to see that happen here in Acts 8, verse 9. It says, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorcery for a long time. So you can hear a lot of self-indulgent words that are describing 
Simon and what the people thought of Simon. Um, here's the definition of sorcery. It's the art practices or spells of a person who is supposed to exercise supernatural powers through the aid of evil spirits, black magic, and witchery. Now, we're going to take a look a little bit about sorcery and some of the, the highs and the lows and some of the ways in which it's walked out here in Earth. Um, and Matt Slick, he's a Christian apologetic and research ministry founder, and he said this about sorcery. He said, sorcery is the practice of using occult supernatural means such as incantations and or spells in order to control forces in the spiritual realm with the intention of influencing the physical realm. Sorcery was used and still is used in order to gain control of the environment and or people, to foretell the future, um, to summon spirits, to harm others, and to benefit oneself. So Simon used sorcery, used magic, used trickery, used different aspects of sorcery to make a name for himself. Did you notice there it said that, that he was uh, claiming that he was someone great? So he, I envisioned that he had put on shows, gathered crowds of people. He used different methods to make a name for himself to trick others to awe the crowds with things that happen that shouldn't happen. Power and money are central to sorcery. Sorcery is a way to, to gain power, to gain money, to gain control over others. People will go to great lengths to, um, you know, pull the wool over somebody in order to gain control or money. Um, also, we find here that, you know, it said here that the people said that this man is the great power of God. He was doing things that they could not figure out and that was only explained as giving him credit in the spirit realm. We find here also that illusion is used in sorcery. And it says, and they had heeded him because they astonished them. He had astonished them. They had no explanation. Um, I want to read this quote. It says, Inter interestingly, the New Testament Greek word translated sorcery is pharmakeia, which is the source of our English word pharmacy. In Paul's day, the word primarily meant dealing in poison or drug use and was applied to divination and spell casting because sorcerers often used drugs along with their incantations and amulets to conjure occult power. You see, drugs have been used to astonish, amaze people, help people to check out into a false reality um, it, it's tied in with sorcery. Um, it's been used to amaze and to trick the mind for a long time. You see, sorcery doesn't have to be as mystical and out there as you might think. Um, perhaps you have used drug use or some other um, substance to trick your mind into a false reality. You've, uh, you've, tapped into trickery of the mind in order to affect the physical, in order to affect the mental, in order to affect the emotional.
You see, all kinds of things such as these are used in sorcery. Um, in fact, I was reading an article this week as I was doing some research about modern day witchcraft. Um, and, you know, it is being brought right down into your children's lap. It is, it is made to look appealing. It's made to look simple. It's almost made to look harmless. And so I was reading um, in this online magazine, a Lure.com by a self-proclaimed modern-day witch. Her name is Sophie St. Thomas, and she wrote an article debunking nine myths about witches. And in this article, her objective is to make becoming a witch a simple thing. Anybody can do it kind of an approach. Um, that And there was a few myths that she wanted to debunk um, to make this witchcraft easy and accessible, I think especially to young people. And I want to read a couple things. One of the myths that she wanted to debunk is this, is that you need tons of training from established witches before you cast your first spell. And, and what she wrote about this myth is this, writing a spell does not require a coven, um, goat, a goat skull, and full moon, as fun as nights involving these can be. Performing a spell just means setting an intention and then conducting a ritual, be that lighting a candle or meditating in the bathtub to fulfill it. What she's saying here is that anybody can do it. You don't need to have all this training. You don't need to have all of this stuff that you think, just give it a go and just put your mind in the right spot and, and follow a few little methods here and you're going to have a great time casting your first spell. Another myth that she wanted to debunk is this. Your ancestors have to be witches in order for you to be one. She said, you don't need to come from a, uh, you know, from a background or from a family of witches. You can be a witch. And she says this, she says, if you come from a non-magical family, aren't close with your family or have severed ties with them out of necessity, this has nothing to do with whether or not you can be a witch. Again, trying to make this very accessible to anyone who wants to be one. Another myth that she said, your witchcraft needs to be Instagram ready. Um, what she's saying is this a myth. You don't have to have it all polished and perfect and looking, you know, perfect for the camera. I want to read what she says. She says in talking about, she was talking about in how nice your witchcraft needs to be and, and your witchcraft altar needs to be specifically. She wants to break down barriers and she says, you don't need to spend a ton of money on yours, um, your altar, um, for it to yield rich rewards. And you're allowed to be a little messy. In my opinion, Joanne the scammer is totally a witch and polished is definitely not her brand. It's okay to look at photos for inspiration, but your practice only needs to reflect one thing you. You see how simple this um, concept of witchcraft really is? It, it's really about trying to become self-indulgent, making it what you want it, and using spiritual matters to impact your image, to impact your feelings, to impact the physical world around you. Um, this um, self-proclaimed witch has really debunked being a witch and that there's really any spiritual power at all. It's really about you and your mind and your tools and make it you. It's so self-indulgent and really lacks spiritual authority.
Why, why engage in sorcery? Why would people want to do it? Well, some for the money. Some would want to engage in it for the money or the power. Some, some for the social media like. Some for the attention. Some because they don't know where to turn when they need something spiritual. You see, this witchcraft, this sorcery is really self-indulgent and it's all about you. And the enemy loves it. The enemy wants all of your attention to be about you. That really is kind of the source of witchcraft, is, is this idea in your brain, in your head, that life is all about you. And that you've got the authority to somehow conjure up a spiritual reality that will impact your physical reality. And it really will. It will drag you down, is what it will do. Um, on the website Got Answers, it's a Christian-based ministry, and it says this about sorcery, and I thought this was a good way to conclude this first self-indulgent thought about sorcery is, sorcery is an attempt to bypass God's wisdom and power and give glory to Satan instead. God has no tolerance for sorcery. In Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, sorcery is listed among the sinful practices of the nations surrounding Israel. God calls it an abomination. It says, There shall not be found any among you, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens. Um, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, or a medium, or a necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. Why? Because sorcery is self-indulgent and gives no glory to God. It grabs all the glory, all the power, all of the um, attention toward yourself and eliminates God out of the picture, and the end result is Satan being glorified in and through your life. So I want to ask you this question. Since witchery is, you know, dumbed down to just simply whatever you want to do, since there seems to be real no spiritual power by self-proclaimed witches, since anybody can do it, in what ways have you engaged in your own sorcery, your own self-indulgent sorcery? In which ways have you done it? In which ways have you used mediums such as drugs or some other um, you know, uh, substance to alter your mind, to check out of reality in hopes to affect reality? In what ways have you engaged in self-indulgent sorcery? Probably all of us could admit in some ways that we've done this. Observation number two, as we work through the story of Simon the Sorcerer, is that Christ's power is others-centric. Christ's power is other-centric. It's the total opposite of what we just looked at in Simon the Sorcerer. Everything that he was doing was all about himself and all about his power and awing the crowd so that he has some authority over their lives. It was trickery for himself. But we find here that Christ's power is others-centric. It's focused on others. Let's keep reading. Verse 12 says, But when they believed Philip 
as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So here we find the supernatural power being fully engaged, miracles and signs were done right there in front of Simon the sorcerer, who is used to sorcery and witchery and witchcraft. But he's amazed at what he's seeing. Verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen, uh, for as yet he, referring to the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we find here that this miracles are going on. People are giving their, their hearts to Christ in Samaria, in a place where the Jews had not yet, the Christian Jews had not fully come to understand that God would even want to include the Samaritans into the kingdom of God. Philip, however, had insight on this. He goes, he's preaching the gospel. Miracles are taking place. They hear this word. Peter and John said, we've got to go down and check this out. They go down. They said, have you received the Holy Spirit? No, we don't receive the Holy Spirit, they lay hands on him and they receive the Holy Spirit. All of this had turned into Christ's power showing them that it that others and all were included and welcomed, that the Holy Spirit was about others receiving him and receiving the miraculous power of God. Um, I read an article this week that had to do with um, companies that are successful and are doing well and thrive have this others focusedness about them. You see, a lot of people will think, well, if I'm going to build a really good company, I'm going to be about my customers. Customers always come first. And you might even talk to your employees and, 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 and tell them that no matter what the customer says, you've got to give them exactly what they want. And this article went on to say that Truly great companies will become employee-focused first. Care for their employees, pay them well, show them appreciation, put them first, your employees, even before the customer. And what happens when you do that? What happens when you invest in your employees and they want to work for you, they want to um, love other people because they are being loved? Well, you've got your whole entire front line loving other people because they've been and loved. You see, most companies miss it. They put the customer for the customer before their employees when truly great companies will put their employees first, which will inspire them to put employees first. This is a, this is a, a practice that works well. Well, we find that also to be centered in the kingdom of God mindset. The kingdom of God wants for us to put others first and it will change everything. So what Simon is seeing is an other centric um, aspect of power. When, the, when it turns into these disciples loving other people and, and all of God's work and God's miraculous power that has no explanation is about others, it blows his mind. Because everything he's experienced in sorcery world has been about him. And now he sees 
sees something that's about others and he wants it. He's attracted to it. He sees something different. And the apostles desired that all would receive the Holy Spirit so that they could be involved in ministry. They wanted to see the Holy Spirit poured out on them so that they weren't doing all the work, so that others could experience the work of Christ and the ministry of Christ. It was not about to honor the apostles. It was about that God would use them. And this is a huge step for the church, this early forming church, to see the Holy Spirit being poured out on people for them to do the work of the ministry. And this was especially powerful because it had happened in Samaria. It was happening in a place where the Samaritans were a group of people that whose parents were half Jewish, half Gentiles, and they were kind of given this, you know, me, you know, this stepchild, um, you know, not really included in God's kingdom mindset. The people of Samaria were kind of regarded that way, and now they see the Holy Spirit being poured out there. And so this was a big deal. Becoming others-centric is a big step for you and I in Christ too. Because before Christ, if we're honest with ourselves, everything about us has been us-focused, me-focused. It's all about me. But when you come in contact with Christ, He shifts our heart and we turn outward focus. It's like a 180-degree turn. We have been focused here on myself only, and now all of a sudden I've got to be focused here on other people. And it begins to come naturally as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Others focused is a primary step to becoming spiritually empowered in Christ. Well, let's continue on in this story. And my last observation is this. Time with Jesus is where we are spiritually strengthened. No shortcuts. Simon didn't realize this. Let's take a look. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God, if he perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Simon, the sorcerer, clearly saw something special about the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So much that he wanted it for himself. He wanted that power. He wanted to do it, and the only thing that he could think of, the only way he could think to get it, was to buy it, because that's the way his mindset had always been, himself-centered, power, authority over others. This is all he knew, and it's what he had. And so he said, I will pay for this if I can have the power that you have. So clearly there was something special, something different, something more powerful than what he'd ever seen before when the Holy Spirit came. And people are being legitimately healed, and their lives are being legitimately changed, and he wanted it. But Simon still struggled with self-focus. How can I buy this power? How can I be in control of this? This is the way he went. 
But Peter told Simon, repent, do your own business with God. This is something that you cannot buy. Your heart is still deceived. Only Christ, only you can do this work in your own business with Christ. And he says, go and pray, go spend time with God. But Simon could not grasp God being in charge. He could not grasp that. That was something that was too hard because everything has been about him. And now to give control over to God. And I, I, I noticed how what Simon did. You know, Simon was convicted in some ways about this situation. And the only the other thing he knew to do now that he's been called on the carpet by these powerful men of God was he said, you pray for me that none of these things that you say will happen will happen to me. This is what he said. He said, you pray for me. Now, I want for you to understand this, that only you can do your own business with God. Only you can have a relationship with God. Only you can make that happen. There's no pastor. There's no leader. There's no family member. There's no grandmother. There's nobody that can do business with God for you. Now, it's biblical to pray for one another. It's biblical that if someone's sick among you, that you bring them and you pray for them and you do business on behalf of someone else. However, your own spiritual rebirth, your own spiritual power comes from you spending time with Jesus. Nobody can do it for you. Nobody can do it for you. You are responsible for your own spiritual life and consequently your own um, spirit-filled walk with God. Pray for people, but you need to realize that they have got to say yes to Jesus. They have got to seek the Holy Spirit. They have got to see God do the work in their life. The Holy Spirit not only empowered the apostles, but it was freely given to empower you. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to work in your life, not just through great and mighty men that you regard as spiritual and in tune with God, but God and His Holy Spirit wants to work in your life too. He wants to do mighty things through you. He wants to do mighty things in you. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit so that you are empowered with holy living. He wants for the, the drug use. He wants for the, the substance abuse. He wants for the broken relationships. He wants for the, the selfishness that you have struggled with to be given to Him. He wants all of that stuff, and it comes as you are filled with the Holy Spirit. All of these vices in our lives can be given to God. We can exchange the sorcery and the witchcraft, and you've maybe never even considered your own vices as those things, but they are. They are taking the place of God's work in your life. And you need to give it over. And all that stuff is weak. All that stuff is nothing compared to the power of God. And the Holy Spirit wants to come and give you power for holy living. The Holy Spirit also wants to give you power for other-centric ministry. That you would be focused on the needs of other people. Can you even imagine that? You've been so focused on yourself and worried about your own needs that you've not even been able to think about your neighbor. You've not even been able to think about those around you that need um, God's touch in their life. But God wants to use you for that. The Holy Spirit wants to use you for other people. Boy, life will be so different when you are others focused. And the Holy Spirit comes that we might be filled with spiritual power 
so that we can spend time with Jesus. And that's the only thing he wants. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend those moments early in the morning and late in the evening where you're focused on him. And that's a spirit-filled life. And you know what? Simon the sorcerer saw something different. He was tired of all of the fake stuff that he had been dabbling in and awing the crowds with. And he saw something different. I don't know how things turned out for Simon the sorcerer. I don't know if this, you know, time when he connected with Peter and John and Philip made a difference in his life. I don't know if he continued on in his weak needs life of sorcery and witchcraft or if he tapped into the true power of God. I pray he did. I pray he discovered an others-centric way of life and that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he ministered to thousands of people because that's true life in Christ. And that's what's available to Simon the Sorcerer and it's what's available to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the story. I thank you, Lord, for the way you work in lives and the way, God, you wanted to work even in Simon the Sorcerer. He had spent much of his life tricking others and tricking himself, thinking that he was someone great, thinking that he had all this power and authority, yet he came in contact with a true and living God. He came in contact with a God who changes lives. And I pray, Lord, that the friends that are listening to this message here today would be empowered from on high from you, Lord, and all of the weak need witchcraft in their lives, Lord, would dissipate. All that self-focus, all the stuff that keeps them poor and pitiful, Lord God, would just begin to dissipate as you fill them with your power, you fill them with the Holy Spirit, and their eyes are fixed on that which lasts forever a relationship with you, and ministry to others. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. 